Uh, if you've got a Bible, if you're able, go ahead and grab it. Open up to the book of Ephesians. We'll be chapter 3, starting in verse 14 today. Um, just a reminder, last week we saw that, that Paul was about to pray, and, and then his ADD kicked in, and, and he got distracted. And he wrote about, uh, it was a wonderful distraction. He, got, uh, he wrote about the mystery of redemption uh, that is revealed in Christ to the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, and then he shared, he spoke about just the manifold wisdom of God being revealed, being put on display uh, like a giant canvas painting uh, for all of creation to see. And so this week, uh, we're going to look at the prayer that Paul was actually beginning last week. Uh, and so we'll pick back up there. You know, we know that, that he's getting back to the original thought because he actually uh, repeats himself with the exact same phrase. Verse 1 and verse 14 begin with that same phrase, for this reason, and, and then the distraction, and he comes back to it for this reason again. Um, and so we're going to read, uh, and then we'll get right into the passage. So Ephesians 3, uh, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word which is revealed and recorded in the, the writings of the Holy Scriptures. Uh, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to enlighten our minds to receive and to understand your word. And we ask that you teach us today to, to know your love and to know it in a way that truly surpasses understanding. Lord, make my mind clear this morning for the task of preaching your word to your people. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'll, I'll tell you right from the start, sometimes it helps if you get the big picture. Right from the start, though, what I, what I want us to see, which is in this passage, is, is to be sure that we understand that um, it, is our, it, is, it is the deep-seated knowledge uh, of the love of Christ for us that gives us stability for all of life. So knowing the love of Christ is what gives us stability for every aspect of life. And so then we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Paul is speaking here at the beginning, and, and he's not just speaking. He's actually praying. We see that you know, in his phrase. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. You ever wonder why we can pray in any position at all? We can pray while, while standing at a concert. We can you know, pray while walking through a beautiful meadow. You can pray while jumping off the high dive at the pool or you know, buried up to your neck in sand at the beach or driving a car just about anywhere. And, and yet there is this recognizable posture of prayer. You know, He didn't actually have to say much besides he was on his knees, right? Um, and, and it's a little odd because typically Jewish people would, would pray standing up. And yet we see that Paul at this moment, at, at this time, is bowing on his knees. And, and what this is about is about a humble submission before the Lord. 
He's bowing himself before God like, like someone would bow themselves before a king, which of course God is. But he's also at the same time, as he's reverently bowing himself in submission, at the same time, you notice the words he uses there, the, the term, that he refers to God as his father. Sometimes we forget just how intimate that term is. You know, as he's praying for the Ephesians here, he's, he's praying to the father, his father. You know, when was the, the last time speaking of prayer, that you could honestly tell someone, like we see in this passage, I, I was praying to God for you to grant you strength with power through the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that's a, a prayer we pray very often. And if, and if someone were to come up to you and tell you that, you know, I am praying for you for, so that God would grant you strength with power through the Holy Spirit, you might think that's a little weird. But that's the first part of the prayer here. That's what Paul was praying. And he shows that we, we all have this identity in God. He talks about the family names. You know, even our, our names as, as children of God, we, we find our source in the truth that, that God is our Father in the gospel. And I hope you, you notice here that, that Paul's not asking for something new. Um, it's quite significant, actually, though. You know, as if, as if maybe these Christians didn't have the Holy Spirit already, that they weren't filled with the Spirit. What, what he's asking God to provide here is to provide more. A greater sense of, of the spirit that God has already given them. God, you know, God is the provider of strength for us. And we see that. We know that. It, it's similar to what we see in Colossians 1.11 where, where we read, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might and all endurance with patience with, uh, and patience and joy. Which, which raises this question then, if, if the prayer is for this power, the power of the Holy Spirit, what, what is the power for? What do we expect of this power? You know, is it, is it to tear phone books in half? I've actually seen that before. Is it to, like, shoot spider webs out of our wrist? I've not seen that before. Um, you know, what is it for? It's, it's neither of those things. Well, what about, like, miraculous healings? Is that what it's for? Is it for speaking in, in, in heavenly languages? It's not what he says here, is it? It's more simple than that. It's, he says it's, it, it is a, a, it's a power so that Jesus may live in our hearts through faith. It's kind of boring sounding, isn't it? Um, but you kind of want to ask, are you sure? Are you sure we don't get to shoot spider webs from our wrist? Because that would be way cooler. I'm sure. That's, that's not what it is. And I am sure of it because if you look at God's word here, that's not what it's revealing to us. Verse, verse 17, it kind of begins here with that phrase. It says, so that... So that is one of those purpose phrases. Whatever comes after, it's going to be the purpose. And, and, and this is the result of, of what God is granting strength and power through the Holy Spirit for. And, and what do we see there in verse 17? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Without the Holy Spirit, God can't, God won't dwell in our hearts through faith. And even this phrase, you know, the idea of Jesus dwelling in our hearts, that, that sounds a little weird to us at first. So, so what does that actually mean? You know, is it, uh, you know he, he's talking about a, a place in some aspect, but, but not your heart in the sense of, of what's beating in your chest right now, right? Not the thing that's, that's pumping blood through your veins at this moment. When he, when he says this, it's, it's in the sense of, of your very, you know, the, the depth of your very essence, to the, to the core of your being, which is exactly why verse 16, you know, puts it this way. It's that your, your inner being. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.16 so, so wonderfully articulates this aspect, you know, what we experience in, in our bodies in this Christian life. It, it tells us 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You young people have no idea. You can hardly fathom what it's going to be like to age. Um, it just seems like something down the line. I know any of you older than me are telling me, you know, Brian, you have no idea. Um, but skin begins to wrinkle. Uh, your muscles hurt. You go out and you do some little game, you know, ultimate frisbee, and you hurt for three days afterwards. Uh, you see, our bodies are actually falling apart and in a very real sense. But at the same time, what we're seeing here is that, uh, you know, as we're walking with the Lord, as we're growing in, in faith, that, that we're maturing in that way, our, our soul, our, our inner self grows, and it grows in the sense of, of being more secure, more sure of the gospel, finding more comfort in the truth of that in our lives. And I, I hope you notice here that, you know, in, in, uh, in just these first few verses that we, we've seen actually every person of the Trinity at work here. Um, sometimes this happens in the passage and it's easy to miss, but you know, it shouldn't surprise us because every person of the Trinity is, is intimately involved in our, in our salvation. You know, God the Father decrees our salvation. God the Son, who's, who's Jesus, accomplished our salvation on the cross for us, and, and God the Holy Spirit applies it to us through faith. And, and so we see even in this passage as he prays, all three aspects of the Trinity are at work. Um, and so what this passage then is, is making clear to us is that the, the gospel is not simply a gift from God. But the gospel is the gift of God. Um, he gives himself in the gospel. You know, that's, that's why we can rest in the gospel. That's why God's love for us is absolutely secure. Because, uh, because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And not because of some performance review that gets turned in about you. You know, to, to quote Meech Hoach, uh, Hotz, one of our, our college students, and he's got so many quotes, he's probably nervous here, but this is beautifully worded. He says, uh, God's love is not contingent upon how I do. If God was willing to love an enemy, at no point is he going to stop loving an incompetent servant like me. Um, I mean, you, you're hearing this. You, you know, if, if our faith is in Christ, then God loves us, even if your assessment of yourself is that you are unlovable. Or as Romans 5.8 puts it, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the, the perfect and, and eternally secure of love of God for us is, is, is the only thing in the world that cannot be taken from us no matter what. You know, no attack on your life, no accident, no disease, no suffering, no imprisonment, not even death can take away the love that Christ has for you in the gospel. And so then what, what happens when, when Jesus dwells in our hearts through faith as Paul is praying here? That's a question. You know, what it, what it does happen? Well, well first, it, it says there in verse 17, it says we become rooted and grounded in love. We become rooted. Um, and you know the story of, of Rhode Island's founder? It was founded by a guy named, uh, a Reformed Baptist actually, a guy named Roger Williams. And uh, 1683, Roger Williams died, and he had a lot of enemies, so they buried him in an unmarked grave underneath an apple tree. And, and nearly 200 years later, a guy named Zachariah goes back and, and wants to dig up his body to give him a proper burial somewhere. Uh, only when he digs up his body, they find that his body has completely deposed and it's gone at this point. And uh, what remained, though, was, was a root. And, and this root uh, looks like it went right down his spine and then split and went down both of his legs and then turns up like feet at the end. And so you've got this root that is shaped like a human body in some aspect. And uh, ever since that time in history, this, this tree has been known as the tree that ate Roger Williams. Um, 
which is not really what happened, uh, children, adults. Uh, <laughs> but this root has been preserved now for hundreds of years, and it's, uh, <clears throat> it's on display in the Rhode Island Historical Society. And until 10 years ago, they kept it in the basement, but uh, the lady that runs the place got so annoyed of having to take people to the basement to see the root, they finally brought it out and put it on display. Um, that's just a side note. So anyway, this is not what Paul means when he says we become rooted and grounded in love, right? Uh, okay, so what, what does this mean, right? Uh, in our passage, what we see here is really two different metaphors. They're, the first one, rooted, is an agricultural metaphor, and grounded is an architectural metaphor. And so Paul's mixing his metaphors. Remember, his, his English teacher would always hate him, which is fine because he doesn't speak English. Um, but, but the deep roots of a tree is this solid ground that gives stability to the life of the tree. And the solid foundation of, of, of a big, mighty building is what's there to make sure the building cannot be shaken. It, that it won't crumble if it is shaken, even. And so then those who love... Uh, the, Whose love is the solid ground that we are rooted in? And the answer is very explicit there in verse 19, the, the love of Christ. And the love of Christ is the solid ground that we, we dig our roots into so that we can be nourished and grow and, and remain upright when the winds of life and, and the storms of, of life just rage. Uh, and remember, you know, we, I keep bringing you back to this, but I want us to remember this is a prayer. This is Paul's prayer for these Christians in Ephesians. And, and as verse 18 begins, he's praying that these Christians may have strength to comprehend. Again, is that a prayer that you pray for people? You know, that, you know, that pray that Jim will have strength to comprehend. See, he, he's asking that they might understand the, the quality and the quantity of Jesus' love for them. You know, we, we measure things. How would you measure the, the love of Christ? You know, it, it's got to be some way. I, last week, I, I heard a common conversation at, at bedtime. Uh, Laura told our son that she loves him, and he responded, I love you more. And, and she said, I love you to the moon and back. And he said, I love you to Mars and back. And of course, she said, I love you to Pluto and back. And then there was absolute silence that there because, you know, he didn't know how to break it to his mother that Pluto is not a planet anymore. That makes no sense. I don't really know how it ended. Um, <clears throat> but you see, we express love and we express quantity of love using ideas that we know. And Paul here is expanding our understanding uh, about the love of God to, to new places, wider, bigger, uh, in ways that we might not have even fathomed before. And he does so by using these the spatial terms, not space, but spatial, right? Uh, he, he prays asking that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Uh, we don't use the word breadth. Can't even pronounce breadth properly, but uh, it's about how wide something is, right? And length, you know, length, it's how long something is. Uh, in Psalm 103, uh, 11, uh, the psalmist speaks about the height of God love, God's love for his people when he says, uh, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love, uh, is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And, and depth, of course, is how deep something is. 
I remember as a, a childhood, uh, in my childhood, we had a 12-foot pool with a diving board, and it was always a challenge to see if you could reach the bottom, and just thinking that is the deepest thing in the whole entire world, and yet as I grew, eventually I could reach the bottom of that. Uh, but there's deeper things than that in the world. Off the, the coast of Japan, there's a, the deepest part of the world's oceans. Uh, it's a place called Mariana or Mariana Trench, and it's so deep that if, that if you took Pike's Peak, the biggest mountain in the entire world, and, and picked it up and could just drop it into the trench, that the peak of, Mounts, uh, of Mount Everest would actually be a thousand feet still below the surface of the water. Um, that's insane. That's just on the planet still. You know, how far do you think you could dig down or swim down into that, that trench? Some of the Navy ships will actually stop there and let their people see how far they can swim down, and no one ever makes it much further uh, than you'd expect any other body of water. But, but you know, that's, that's kind of the idea here, that, that the love of God for us when we are his children through the gospel is so deep that you couldn't possibly swim down to the bottom of it. You see, the, the love of God for, for you in Christ is so real, so sure, that you need not fear it ever running out. Paul in, in Romans 8, 38 and 39 uh, says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus for us. That's, that's the security we have in the love of Christ. And so then... You know, how often, I'll ask you this, how often, and this is a real question, how often do you just stop in life and try to comprehend the love of Christ for you? Is that something you do? It's something we all should do, you know, just to, to consider how the incarnation shows just the breadth of God's love for us. Or, or how Jesus going willingly, willingly with his accusers, you know, displays the length of his love for us. Or how hanging on the cross until his death shows the height of God's love for us. And how the resurrection and his creating a home for us in heaven for all of eternity makes clear just the depth of his love for us. You know, if you're like me, your, your answer is, is not enough. I just don't stop to do those sort of things. And yet it's important that we do. In verse 19, we, we then read the, the pinnacle of Paul's prayer. Um, he says that we, we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So what's this mean, surpasses knowledge? Well, well first of all, it's not less than knowledge. It, it doesn't just imagine God to be whatever you want God to be and, and go with it. it. It's true, genuine knowledge uh, of the love of Christ. And, and, and so we, we know it begins with the knowledge that God has revealed about himself in the scriptures. But how does anything surpass knowledge? Um, I, I have knowledge that, that roller coasters are safe. I could point to a history of them being safe. I could explain the way they stay on the tracks and that they're not going to fly off. But if you ask me to get on one, there's not a chance in the world. I rode a, a children's roller coaster, like a little circle, you know, maybe 100 meters, uh, with my kids and about peed my pants. I expected to die. I just hate roller coasters. I won't get on them. And the reason is deep down, I don't trust them at all, even the little ones. 
And so my, my knowledge is, is really just surface level, level information. I can tell you all about it and why it's safe for you, but there's not a chance I'm getting on there. Now, now on the other hand, we, we saw this round disc-shaped swing in the, in the client's front yard. Um, and so for Christmas, we got our kids one. We put it in a, a tree in our front yard. And uh, our, our kids swing on this thing. And, and it goes flying. And their whole body is sideways, flying around. You can't quite hit the trunk of the tree. Um, we tested that with Berkeley. Uh, you know, you're just held in by this centripetal force, but, you know, they know that the swing will hold them, and they know it in a way that truly surpasses knowledge. They truly trust it, and, and that's seen in their actions, and the way that they jump on the swing, and, and the joy uh, of the noises they make. You can hear ten doors down as they fly in circles in our front yard. And so you can see then here that, that why Paul is praying for these Christians to know the love of God in a way that surpasses knowledge. That's not mere information, you know, so, so, that, so that that anxious knot in our chest, that, that, that it loosens, you know, when, when, when the, the fear of death is near. So that we can have confidence in, in the gospel and, and, that, and that the gospel can change others. And that's that motivation to actually speak the gospel to people that seem incredibly unlikely to ever believe it. So that we can trust God to provide what we need in life, even if his promise doesn't include all the possessions that we hope to have in life. And so that we can have peace. The kind of peace we learn about in Philippians 4, 7, where he writes, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Christian, do you know the love of Christ for you? Do you truly know it? You know it in a way that surpasses knowledge because just like light drives out darkness, so does assurance in Christ drive out anxiety in our life. You know, when, when, when light enters a room, darkness can no longer exist in that room. And when the assurance of God's love for us in the gospel permeates an anxious heart, the anxiety can no longer remain. And this isn't a one-time thing. It might be an experience that, that happens 50 times in the course of a day, you know, that, that constantly coming back to the confidence of the gospel uh, to fight the anxiety that comes onto us. You know, the fear that we experience when we, when we consider questions like, what happens when I die? Or what if my child's sickness becomes severe? What if, what if President Trump starts World War III? Or, you know, what if those, those people erode further the, the culture, the godly morals of our culture, the, these fears that sneak in. You know, to all that, we, we can find rest in the, in the love of Christ for us. That my, uh, my eternal home and the family of God is absolutely secure. My sin is washed away. And, and the end result is this being filled with the fullness of, of God. That's what Paul says here at the, our last verse, you know. And we are, we're these finite creatures. You know, we can't be filled with, with all of God. God is just too vast for that. But, but we can be filled to the brim with God. Just like I could hand you a, a mason jar and send you out to the Kansas River. And, and, and you couldn't fit the entire river into the jar, but you certainly could fill the jar to the brim uh, with the river. And, and so at the heart, what we're seeing here is, is this is a prayer of Paul's about Christian maturity, looking for us to mature in Christ, to grow in that way. And after we, we understand the passage, then, you know, we, we come to the end of the passage. I like to ask us this question. Uh, I'm always asking it internally, in case you're wondering, uh, sometimes verbally. But the question is this, so what do we do with this? 
Okay, we understand the passage. What do we do with this? What does this mean for my life? And in, in this case, what, what this means is that we need to learn to pray for each other, to pray for ourselves in the, in the same way that Paul is praying here. And we've already acknowledged this is not the way we, we typically pray. You know, parents, this is how you need to be praying for your children, husbands for your wives, wives for your husbands, college students, everyone else, praying for your friends, yourselves, your family, your, your covenant community. And here's what I mean when I say learn to pray like this. Um, I mean that our prayers are not only or, or primarily given to things like, like God, I, I pray that, that Bobby quits getting drunk on the weekends. Or... That, you know, that Karen stops sleeping with that terrible guy she's dating. Or, or that Kyle stops looking at pornography. Because you, you, you notice that, that Paul's prayer isn't first about the mortification of, of any particular sin. And it isn't just about some general spiritual growth, you know. Which are fine things to pray for. I'm not saying those are bad prayers. Those are good prayers. Um, but this prayer that we're seeing here really challenges us to go further back to the source, right? Uh, of what's going on in each of those situations. The prayer that, that, that of Paul here is, is that God grant them to be strengthened with, with power through the Holy Spirit so that they truly know the love of God for them. And that's very different than just praying for victory over a particular sin. Because at the heart of, of all of our sin, it's this lack of trust in God, a weakness of faith in some regard, really a, a lack of satisfaction in God. You know, that's, that's why we as Christians give in to temptation. That's why we, we give in to gossip and, and pornography and why we lie and, and, and why we grow bitter at others. That's, that's not to say we aren't genuine children of God, but, but our, our comprehension of the love of God is less than knowledge when, when it needs to be more than knowledge. It, it, would, it would personally mean so much to me if I, you know, in, in my walk and in my faith, if I knew that during the week you, you were praying for me. Um. That you were praying a prayer like this for me, that I'd be strengthened in the Holy Spirit and, and to know the love of God deeply. And, and I'll even ask you, you know, will, will you pray that for me? And, and take it another step, will you, will you pray that for, for each other? Will you pray that for your spouse, your, your children, your covenant family, for those that you, you look around this room and you see sitting around you, you know, if you know their name, then, then pray this for them. And, and here's why I, I love that we preach through books of the Bible. Um, here, here's why it is, it is so good for us to gather together and worship and why we all need to have just a, a regular time of, of reading Scripture in our days because, because reading and, and studying this week, um, you know, to be honest, the, the Word of God in this passage just cut me like a two-edged sword. It, it convicted me to pray for you. Most of you by name, pulling out the directory and, and just praying for you. Um, some of you that I don't know as well, just in general, but... but you know, praying that you'd be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, that you'd be strengthened and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that you'd really, truly know just how deeply Jesus loves you, to know it in your, your absolute inner being. Um, that, that's one of the reasons I, I, I always encourage morning devotions of some sort, not as some legalistic requirement that this is what a Christian has to do, uh, but, but to know that it's a tool, it's a way of just daily recalibration, to, to remember just how wonderful my Savior is, to experience the, the joy of the Lord, and I know that I need that recalibration every single day. Um, 
George Muller said this so perfectly. I love this quote. I've told it to you before. Uh, the, <clears throat> the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. This, this prayer that we, we pray to God to, to grant us to be strengthened with power in the Holy Spirit, it, it has these huge implications for our sanctification, meaning um, our, our growth in actual godly thoughts and actual godly actions. And, uh, you know, because people at the heart do whatever it is they desire to do. Uh, it sounds simple enough, right? And, and, and it sounds frustrating on some level, but, but it also means that people really can change. That's one of the big questions of the world. Can people actually change? And um, they can, but to do so, our actual affections for God must change. Uh, Brian Chapel, who until recent years was the, the president of Covenant Seminary, wrote, Love for Christ drives out love for, other th- for the things of the world. And our love for Christ must first spring from an awareness of his love for us. So our following of Christ will reflect what, what we really believe about Jesus and about his love for us. Um, and so, you know, do you know it just as, as something taught in Scripture? You know, is it, is it just theological fact on some level, or, or do you believe it to the absolute core of your being? Which is why when, when preaching God's word, there is absolutely a place for showing what God expects and desires from our hearts and our actions. But there's also a, a need, a help to a, a need to help us understand that that Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, to truly know and to be able to to know it at the depths of our heart that that Jesus loves me. Is that something that you can say? Jesus loves me, and and to know those words are absolutely true and contingent on nothing that you have accomplished. He loves me, not because of my goodness, but because of his mercy. Because at some point, I think we all realize, you know, I don't love God enough. If I did, I wouldn't sin so much. I'd spend more time in prayer. I'd be bolder just to talk to people about the gospel. And here's what I'll say to that. You are absolutely right. You you don't love God as much as you should. Nor do I. But he has and, and he does love you enough. More than enough. He loves you as a parent, loves a child. He, he loves you more than you'll ever know. And, and so let go of your effort to earn the love of God. Okay? That's not the same as saying go pursue sin. But let go of that effort to try to earn the love of God and just fall into the open arms of our gracious Savior who, you know, where we can find rest in his love. So let me just, just end by, by these encouraging words from Philippians 1.6. They're also written by the, the Apostle Paul. It's God's word for us. And he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And that's... That's true for every one of you whose faith is in Christ. Let's pray.